to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. I don't know if you've experienced like I have the sense of going through life trying to please God. And I know that by saying that I'm speaking to Jesus followers and there may be those of you that are here, those of you that are watching online that you're not a Jesus follower, that's okay. I'm going to have plenty to say from God's word that will speak to your heart too. But as Jesus followers trying to live for God, trying to do what he wants us to do and then failing or, or feeling like you just can't quite get to where you need to be, where God would like you to be, you don't quite measure up. And not just in the sense of what we do, but we're not totally and completely experiencing all that we think that we should be experiencing as God's children because of what we see in His Word, because of what we see in other people's lives, because of what we know about His promises for us. Sometimes we struggle with a particular issue. It's like, well, I want to be a godly man, but I feel like I don't quite get that. I want to be a godly husband or a godly father. And I feel like I just fall so short. I've got so far yet to go. What do we do with those feelings? What do we do with that self-evaluation? What do we do with the evaluation of God saying, well, God, it just doesn't seem like you're quite coming through for me because I really am trying. I know I'm not perfect, but how do we deal with those things? I believe that God has given me a message today from a story in Exodus chapter 6 that can be an encouragement for us. I know it's an encouragement for me. The title of my message today is God brought us out to bring us in. God brought us out to bring us in. Now, you may say, what in the world does that mean? It'll be clear before we get to the end of it today, okay? God brought us out to bring us in. We're going to be reading in Exodus chapter 6 in just a moment. And I want to give you a little bit of background because you have to understand what's happened before this. I'm going to try to keep this brief. Sometimes I take too much time for background and I don't mean to, but let's just jump in. From the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, and Adam and Eve rebelled against God, and sin entered this world. The world and people in the world have been a mess. But God loves the people in the world. That's why he created the world, even knowing they were going to mess up, because he wanted a people who would love and serve him, and he would have relationship with them for all eternity. And so he had a plan from the very beginning to take care of the problem. And it started with one man. His name was Abraham. And you read about him in Genesis. And God showed up to Abraham. And Abraham was a pagan, idol-worshiping guy. And God revealed himself to Abraham as the true God. And he says, I want to do something special for you and for your family. Your family is going to become a nation. And through that nation, I want to bless the world. That was God's intent from the very beginning, is that from Abraham, he would form a nation. That they would have such a wonderful relationship with God that other people would look at them and say, Hey, there's something different about their God. I want what they have. 
Unfortunately, it didn't always work out that way very well because God's people messed up so much, but he never gave up on them. You know, as a little side issue, that's the same way it should be today for the church of Jesus Christ. That because we have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, the world would see something different in us and say, hey, I need what they have. That's what God wants to do. So he started out with Abraham and God met with Abraham and he made an agreement with him. It's called a covenant. If you read the Bible very long, you've heard, seen that word covenant. You got the old covenant, the new covenant. What are these covenant things? What is a covenant? I'll just make it as simple as possible. A covenant is sort of like a contract. Most people understand what a contract is. A contract is an agreement. It's usually written down, verified, notarized, all that kind of stuff so people can't get out of it. But it's an agreement between two entities where each agrees to certain things, certain commitments, certain responsibilities. And if you don't keep up your side of the commitment, you can be sued, whatever. A covenant is sort of like that. But whereas... A contract can be between two people or groups of people or entities, and they don't have any kind of relationship. A covenant is an agreement between two people who have or want to have and will definitely continue to have a close and personal and positive relationship. I guess the easiest way to understand this in our realm as human beings would be the marriage covenant, where you have two people that enter into a legal relationship where there are commitments and responsibilities and expectations, but it's not just a contract that you better do your part or you're going to be in real trouble. It's we have a relationship. We have a close thing going on here. Okay. And so that's what a covenant is. And so God established a covenant with Abraham and then he reestablished it with his son, Isaac. And then he reestablished it with Isaac's son, Jacob. Each of these men, Tried to follow God. They didn't do it perfectly, but they tried to follow God. Jacob had 12 sons. And so he had this humongous family and God renamed Jacob Israel, which became the name of their family, which became the name of their nation because their family grew so much. It became a nation, the nation of Israel. At a point of time when Jacob was still alive, at the end of his life, there was a great famine. And he took all his family at that time, about 70-something people, and they went to Egypt to get away from the famine, the story of Joseph and all that. You can read that on your own. But after that time was over, they stayed in Egypt, and over a period of time, they became slaves. I know I'm telling you a story that most of you already know, but there may be a couple people that don't. So that's why I want you to, want you to understand that they became slaves, and they were slaves of the Egyptians for 400 years. And they cried out to God, deliver us. And God, in his timing, said, I'm going to deliver them. And he used a man by the name of Moses. And you get into the whole story of the Exodus and all that kind of stuff. And so God called Moses to go to Egypt to approach Pharaoh and say, Pharaoh, you've got to let my people go. But when he went to Egypt, he met with the Israelite leaders and he told them, God has sent me. God is going to set our people free. They got so excited. They were slaves. They were horribly mistreated and abused and taken advantage of. They had to work hard from the time they got up to the time they went to bed every single day. They were barely surviving, barely living. 
And Moses brings the word from God. God's going to set our people free. They're so excited. Then Moses goes to Pharaoh. And I don't know what Moses was expecting. From the response of what happens over the next several chapters, I have a feeling he just expected to go to Pharaoh and say, hey, Pharaoh, you got to let God's people go. And Pharaoh says, okay, bye, see ya. And then they go. But that isn't what happened. When Moses went to Pharaoh and said, God says, you need to let his people go. Pharaoh says, I don't even know this God you're talking about. And I'm not going to let him go. In fact, if they've got time to talk about this, dream about this and stuff, they've got too much time on their hands. So I got to give them more work to do. So he made things even more difficult for the Israelites. And because of that, the Israelites became very discouraged. Their hopes have been raised so high and now they're dashed to the ground and their horrible life has just been made even more horrible. And Moses goes to God to complain. He says, God, why'd you do this? And so that's what we're going to look at now is God's response. Exodus chapter 6, starting in verse 1. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, this is talking about God's strong hand, not Pharaoh's. With a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. God is basically telling Moses, listen, I know it doesn't look good right now, but I am strong. And with my strong hand, I'm going to make it not only where Pharaoh will let you guys go, but he's going to tell you to go with all the strength and authority he has. Verse 2. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. You see, when God made that covenant with Abraham, he led him to the promised land and he didn't own the land. He just lived there and their people grew there. But God says, one day your people will own this tremendously wonderful land. Verse 5. Moreover, I've heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves. And I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Verse 9, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because their broken spirit and their harsh slavery. God made these promises. God made these commitments. And God's people were having a hard time believing them because the first time they heard about it, things got worse. Have you ever been there? Yeah. So we see here in these verses, God makes seven commitments to his people in three verses. Verses 6, 7, and 8. He says, I will bring you out. I will deliver you. I will redeem you. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. I will bring you into the land and I will give it to you. Seven strong commitments. Seven strong 
promises. Now, even though there's seven I wills, there's actually only three main areas. And I want to take a look at those three promises that God made, those three commitments that God made to his people as they were in slavery in Egypt. And then we're going to see how that applies to our lives today. And I believe that how that applies to our lives today can encourage us. It can challenge us. It can strengthen us. It can give us a new hope. It can give us a new determination that we've got this. With God's help, we've got this. We're headed somewhere and we can get there with God's help. So what are these three promises that God made to his people in slavery? The first one is this, is God promised to redeem his people. God promised to redeem his people. He said in verse six, I will bring you out. I will deliver you. I will redeem you. I use the word redeem to summarize all three of these because this is the word that we see all through scripture that God is always working on behalf of his people to redeem them. We're going to see in just a little bit about how he redeemed us through Jesus Christ. What does this word redeem mean? It means to buy, and in particular to buy back, to buy out of, to buy out of bondage, to buy out of slavery. And that's what God is promising them to do. He says, I am going to redeem you. I'm going to get you out of this mess. Now, it didn't happen as quickly and as easily as they wanted it to happen, but it did happen because God always keeps his promises. And you probably have read the story or heard the story or at least whiffs of the story about how God did redeem his people and take them out, deliver them out of Egypt. But it took a period of time to bring Pharaoh to that place where he would say, go and get out of here. That's where the ten plagues come in. Because Pharaoh refused, God would give Moses a message for Pharaoh and say, hey, if you don't let him go, this is going to happen. A terrible plague on the land. And it would happen. And Pharaoh would kind of waver in this commitment. He'd say, no, 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 you can't go. Time after time after time, ten plagues, different curses, different negative consequences that would come upon the Egyptians. And each time... Pharaoh would kind of consider letting them go. In fact, a couple of times he says, yeah, go ahead and go. But before they could pack up and leave, he says, no, I changed my mind. And it finally got to the 10th plague or after nine plagues. And Moses went to talk to Pharaoh for the last time. God had given him a message. He says, here's, here's the 10th and last plague. If you will not let my people go, then tonight the death angel will go all through Egypt And the firstborn son of every family will die. And God had said that that would be true, even even his own people, unless they trusted him enough to do what he said. What is it that he told them to do? He says, each of you are to get a lamb and you're to bring it into your home. And you are to slay that lamb And it's going to be part of a meal, and he had a description of the meal, and the meal has a lot of symbolism we're not going to dig into today. He says, but you're going to take the blood of that lamb, and you're going to put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the door of your house. And you're going to, you're you're going to be together with your family in your home. Don't go outside and be ready, because you're going to leave. You're going to leave Egypt. You get yourself ready. And he says, when the death angel comes through Egypt, If I see the blood, I will pass over you. 
And that meal became an annual celebration that Jewish people still celebrate today called Passover. To celebrate the fact that God delivered his people from Egypt. But he did it through the slaying of a lamb. Blood applied that showed God that his people were trusting him. And they were going to be taken care of. And that's exactly what happened. You can read some more about Passover in Exodus chapter 12 if you want to read that later on. So that's exactly what happened. The death angel came through the land. The Israelites and even some Egyptians. The Egyptians heard the word and some of them had been so shaken up by the other nine plagues. They were starting to believe in this God. They were starting to put more trust in Moses and they were in Pharaoh. And they went through that too. In fact, some of the Egyptians left Egypt with the Israelites. You may or may not know that. It's right there in the biblical story if you read it. Some of the Egyptians says, we're going to serve this God instead of the ones we grew up with. And they went off into the wilderness with the Israelites. But God set them free. He redeemed them. God promised to redeem his people. Here in Exodus 6, when he made that promise, God knew he would do it. And he came through. God always comes through. It didn't happen near as quick as his people wanted. They went through a lot of stuff. In fact, the Bible seems to indicate that the first couple of plagues, they kind of suffered from it too. But then eventually God says, I'm not going to make my people suffer anymore. So he, he kind of left them out of the other plagues. So God redeemed his people. The second promise we see in Exodus 6 is God promised to accept his people. To accept his people. What do I mean by that? This is in verse 7 where God said, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. Why is this so significant? Because God didn't just look down on earth and see people that were totally oppressed, mistreated and abused, say, I need to do something about that. So he set them free and just let them go their own way. He says, no, I have a relationship with this people. It goes all the way back to Abraham. And I want to continue to have that relationship with these people. I want these people to really know me. In fact, he says in verse 7, he says, And you shall know that I am the Lord your God. The word for know there means to know in a very close, relational way. Not just know facts, not just know details, but truly know him. God didn't just come and say, Hey, you guys are having trouble. I'll set you free. Have a good life. He says, no, you're my people. I'm going to set you free. I'm going to redeem you. And we're going to have a relationship. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to bless you tremendously. But you need to serve me as your God. It's kind of a restating of that whole covenant. God says, I'm going to commit myself to you. But I also expect you to commit yourself to me. And we are going to have a relationship. And again, God's ultimate purpose was that the outworking of this relationship, of this covenant, would be so phenomenal in the world that it would draw so many other people to say, we've got to serve this God. And so God promised to accept his people. And the thing that is so amazing to me is that, you know, God knows all things and he knows what was going to happen. And he knew all the problems that his people were going to cause. He knew that it wouldn't be just a, but a couple of days after leaving Egypt, his people are like, God, where are you at? And God's like, I just sent 10 plagues to set you free. You just left 
Egypt. And now you're facing difficulty. They faced the Red Sea, which is a big deal. They faced the desert. They faced the wilderness. They faced a shortage of water. They faced a shortage of food. All these things were God's way of testing his people and helped them to learn to trust him because God was always going to provide for all those things, and he did. But his people complained. They griped. And as you look through the history of God's people, you see that there were times they would turn their backs on God. They'd rebel against Him. They would worship other gods. They would do their own thing. They would not keep their side of the covenant. But even though God knew all those things were going to happen, and even though in this exact, on this exact day, when God gives the promise, it said in verse 9, that Moses told the people, but they didn't listen because they had been so disappointed. In spite of all that, God still loved them and God still promised to accept them. In spite of all that. And the third one is that God promised to lead and provide for his people. God promised to lead and provide for his people. He says, I will bring you into the land. God's going to go along with them. He's going to lead them. He's going to guide them. He says, and I will give it to you. He's going to lead. He's going to provide the promised land, the place of blessing. It's described over and over again in scripture with a description we don't totally relate to. It's called the land flowing with milk and honey. That doesn't mean a whole lot to us. We think a diet of milk and honey, that would be kind of bland. It's not meant to describe their whole diet. It's to describe the blessedness of that land, that it's so fruitful in everything that, you know, they will have plenty of milk, which means they're going to have plenty of herds, plenty of flocks. There will be honey. Honey is produced by bees, and they need plenty of vegetation. And, you know, basically he's going to say, listen, this is going to be a land that is going to, to provide, you know, for all your flocks and your herds. They're going to be abundant. You're going to have an abundance of agricultural products. It's going to be a wonderful place. So God promised to lead and provide for his people. And the point here is that God didn't just deliver them from something. He delivered them to something. He brought them out of slavery to bring them into a place of blessing. And so that's kind of where the title came from. And God brought them out to bring them in. He didn't just bring them out to deliver them, but he brought them out to bring them into a place of relationship and a place of blessing. And we see that God kept his promises. It wasn't easy, not for him. Everything's easy for God. But it wasn't easy for God's people. Because God's people just didn't get it sometimes. And even when they did get it, they caused some problems. The Israelites made it a whole lot more difficult. Um, which we sometimes do that too. Right? They made it a whole lot more difficult. They didn't always keep their part of the covenant, but God never gave up on them. God never gave up on them. Well, even though the Israelites were so discouraged that they didn't even believe the promises anymore, God kept his promises. So how does this story relate to us? I think, and we see illustrated all through Scripture, that 
people keep looking back. This became one of the major stories in the Jewish people's history and, and life and culture of how God took care of his people, even though they didn't deserve it. How God took care of his people, even though they kind of messed things up from time to time. How God never gave up on his people and always kept his promises. But the same thing is true for us today. This story illustrates the need of all people to be redeemed from sin in order to have a relationship with God that results in his tremendous, tremendous plan for each and every one of us. We see these same three things in our lives. We see these same three needs in our lives. And we see these same three aspects of God's promise in our lives. Our need for redemption. Our need and inward desire for relationship with God. And our need and our desire to experience the fullness of all the good things that God created for human beings to experience. And we see that God keeps these same promises for us. And he did it through Jesus Christ. And his death upon the cross. There are so many scriptures that illustrate this. And I'm only going to give you a a small handful of them as we continue on through this message this morning. But we see a a real good overview overview of it in Galatians chapter 4. Verses 3 to 7, when Paul is dealing with the issues that Galatians had, and we're not going to dig into that, but he says this in Galatians 4, 3 to 7. Paul says, in the same way, we also, who's the we? These are believers, these are people, these are not just Jewish people, these are Gentiles. Paul ministered to the Gentiles, the Galatians were a church of Gentiles. In the same way, we also, when we were children, not talking about literally Children, but talking about when we were still naive, when we were still kind of ignorant of God and his plans and purposes, we were kind of didn't really understand about this God. He says, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. That's just kind of a fancy way of saying we were enslaved to sin. This world was so messed up, jacked up, you know, because of sin coming in, and we were enslaved to all this stuff in the world that was anti-God, anti-everything that God has for people. We were enslaved. Verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem. There's that word for redeem. To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, and that includes daughters too, ladies, don't get all bound up by that. But if you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then you are an heir through God. He says, when Jesus came, he filled this in the ultimate sense. We were in bondage to this world and its junk and its mess and its sin. And at just the right time, Jesus came. And because of his death on the cross, he redeemed us. He made it possible for us to be set free from that slavery. And not only to have that problem solved, but so that we can be his sons and daughters. And as his sons and daughters, we are heirs of all the good things that God has for his people. Those same three promises. 
I want to look at each of those individually. And I find it very interesting as I was studying this more deeply that, you know, each one kind of corresponds to a different aspect of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And what God does in and through each of his demonstration, his, his manifestations of his personality. Just as in Exodus 6, God promised to redeem his people by saying, I will bring you out, I will deliver you, I will redeem you. We see that Jesus redeems us from our sin. Jesus redeems us from our sin. And I find it very interesting since God knows everything and he knows the end from the beginning and he knows what's going to happen, that way back in the story I've already related to you here at the beginning of Exodus, God laid the foundation for his people to recognize Jesus and what he would do for him, do for them. Unfortunately, many of them did not in the story of Passover. Because just like way back, about 1500 BC, 1500 years before Jesus shows up, they had to slay a Passover lamb to be protected from the judgment against sin. And every year they're to celebrate that, to remember that. When Jesus came, God used that picture to help make it clear what he came to do. He came to become the ultimate Passover lamb. In fact, when Jesus first shows up on the scene and very few people know about him and his cousin or close relative, John the Baptist, the one God sent to prepare the way for Jesus, and he's telling people, hey, God's getting ready to break into history. He's getting ready to establish his kingdom. You got to get ready. The way you got to get ready is you got to repent of your sins. Get right with God. And he was baptizing people to be symbolic of the fact that their sins were washed away because of their repentance. And Jesus came by and he says, behold, the Lamb of God. See that in John 1.29. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus died on the cross on Passover. He was the Passover Lamb. Later, Peter would write about it in 1 Peter 1, verses 18 to 19. He says, you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He says, you trusting in Jesus, you were redeemed. You were ransomed. You were delivered. Not because God paid this really high price in silver and gold. No, it cost the life of his son. The blood of Jesus was shed on the cross that our sins could be forgiven. And that is what we call the good news. The Bible is very, very clear about the basic facts, the basic truths of what we call the good news. And the good news starts with Bad news, and the bad news is that we are all sinners, separated from God. We are all in slavery, just like the Egyptians were in slavery in Egypt. We are enslaved to our sin. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Separation from God, not just physical death, but eternal spiritual death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Because Jesus died on the cross, after having as a human being, God himself becoming human, God and man, both 100%, 
lived a perfect life so that when he died on the cross, a death that he did not deserve in God's plan, it paid the price for the sins of those who had put their trust in him. Just like the Egyptians who put their trust in what God said and said, I'm going to take a lamb into my house. I'm going to slay that lamb and I'm going to put the door on the doorpost and on the lintel. And God says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. In the same way, when he sees the blood of Jesus applied to our lives, he passes over us in judgment because Jesus already paid the price for it. Just as that Passover lamb paid the price for it all those many years. So our call is to respond to God's spirit, drawing us to himself. To recognize that we are sinners and we need a savior. To recognize and to admit, because we don't want to admit that something else is in control. We don't want to admit that we're in bondage. We don't want to admit any of that. And so many people resist admitting that. And some of you did maybe for so long before you finally were willing to admit the truth. But we need to admit that and say, God, I am a sinner separated from you. Please forgive me. Not on the basis of anything I've done or anything I can do, but because Jesus died for me. Because Jesus redeems us from our sin as we put our trust in him. And can I tell you that for those of us that have done that, this promise, we've already experienced that. But we today can sit here or stand here in my case. Those of you that are home, you may be laying on the couch. I don't know. But wherever you are, whatever position you're in, we can be free from our sin. It's shame. It's guilt. It's punishment. It's condemnation. It's eternal consequences because Jesus redeems us from our sins. And if you're here today or you're watching online or you're listening or watching this later, if you've not yet surrendered your life to Christ, I encourage you and challenge you to do so. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that as we get ready to take communion in just a little bit. So, just as God promised to redeem his people in Exodus 6, we see that Jesus redeems us from our sin. He's our Passover lamb. The second thing is just as God promised to accept his people in Exodus 6, he says, I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. We see that God accepts us as his children. God accepts us as our children. And again, this is something I don't think we fully appreciate as much as we should. That God didn't look down and say, man, I created this world and they made a mess of it. I know I did it anyway, so we got to take care of it. So I'll send Jesus. And so Jesus took care of us. Okay, now you can have your sins forgiven, but I'm done with you guys. He didn't say that. Because God's heart still is to love his people. And for his people to be able to love him back. And so God accepts us as his children. In the Gospel of John chapter 1. It says that Jesus came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Doesn't mean none of them did. It's just a bunch of them just didn't receive him. I mean, these people should have been prepared. They'd celebrated Passover. They knew all the signs. They knew all the prophecies. They should have recognized Jesus for who he was, but they didn't, most of them. But it says that Jesus came to his own and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 
Those who receive Jesus, those who believe in his name, which means the name represents the person. It means you believe in Jesus and who he is and who he claims to be and what he did. We are the children of God. Sons and daughters of God himself. God didn't just set us free as wonderful as that would be. But he loves us. Wants to be in relationship with us. And just as in Exodus 6, God said, I want my people to know me. Not just know about me, but I want them to really know me. He wants that for us too. He wants us to know him. Not just about him. To have that personal, real, intimate relationship with him. It's a privilege to be a child of God. To have our sins forgiven. To have his presence in our life every day. Then we have the third one. Just as God promised to lead and provide for his people when he said, I will bring you into the land and give it to you. We see that the Holy Spirit leads us and provides for us. The Holy Spirit leads us and provides for us. When we see the promised land in the Old Testament, it had its purposes for God's people then. But we see that as a picture of all that God has for all of his people of all time. And for us today as believers in Jesus Christ, if we are, that promised land represents eternal life. Which is not just heaven one day with God when all sin and death and, and sickness and, and, and pain and sorrow is done away with. We look forward to that, but it also means the abundant life that he wants to give us here. Now, it's not a life without problems. We still live in this sinful, fallen world. We're still going to struggle. We're still going to, you know, face difficulties. And some of those difficulties is because of our own fault. Some of them have absolutely nothing to do with us. We just live in this fallen world that's filled with sickness and, and sometimes other people. Their sin or their wrong choices hurt us, cause us problems. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't want us to still have abundant life. That God doesn't want us to still, doesn't want to still lead us and guide us and provide for us. That God doesn't want us to have his peace and his joy and his love. All those things are available to us. We all lead different lives. We all have different experiences. Some people's experiences are much more difficult than others. It's all part of God's plan. However, that all works out. We all got to walk with God on our own path. Face our difficulties. Trust in him. Do what he tells us to do. Pick ourselves back up with his help when we fall. But in the midst of it all, God says, I will be with you. I will guide you and lead you. I will provide for you. I'll give you my peace. I'll give you my joy. You'll experience my love. It's all available. I look out and there's a number of people that I could name their names, but I would never want to embarrass them. And this is not a bad thing. This is a good thing. I look out and see so many of you that we've had conversations. And you have been through or you are going through really tough times. Some have expressed to me just feeling this burden, this overwhelming sense of just getting through every day. But so many of you saying, but you know what? God is faithful. God is faithful. It's as I trust in him that he gives me what I need for today. I'm not sure I'm going to have what I need for tomorrow, but that's okay. I've got what I need for today. Because the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, 
you know, all this stuff is all through the Bible. It's all of theology, but this is a summary that when we know Jesus Christ as our Savior, His Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us to guide us and lead us and empower us. And God promises to do that. But you know what? Just like the Israelites, we struggle, don't we? We struggle with obedience, and sometimes we don't obey. But the good news is that when that happens, if we come back to God in repentance and ask Him to forgive us, He forgives us. He helps us get back on our feet and keep on heading down the path. We struggle with living for Him. We struggle with trusting Him sometimes. We struggle with living the life He calls us to. He, we struggle with fulfilling the, the, the responsibilities He's put on us. Like I said at the beginning of the message of, of being that man of God, of being that godly husband, and being that godly father. And, and when we mess up, it's like, oh Lord, why can't I, I can't quite get there. You know, I think in our minds, or maybe subconsciously, it's like, well God, I'm trying to serve you and we expect everything to be perfect now, but it isn't, it's a process. It's a life we gotta live. It's like the Israelites going through the wilderness as God's leading them to the promised land. But even when they got to the promised land, God's blessing was there, but they still had to live it out and there were still problems and such. They still had to trust God. They still had to keep going forward. And the same is true for us. But this is where the title of the message comes in. God brought us out to bring us in. Sometimes we have to cling to that with both hands. Sometimes we gotta to cling to that with all ten fingers and maybe all ten toes too. That God brought us out, but He brought us out to bring us in. And He's gonna get us through. I didn't put it in my notes, but in, in Romans, where, where, I think it's Romans 8, where, where, where Paul says, God says through Paul, He says, listen, if God didn't hesitate to give His Son to die for your salvation, don't you think He's gonna take care of you? He didn't bring us out to just put on us on our own. He didn't bring us out to just say, okay, good luck. He brought us out to bring us in. To bring us into all that he has for us. There's so many verses I could quote, but I just want to quote one short one. Paul in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And Paul writes the book of Philippians from jail. He's not sure if he's going to get out or if he's going to be put to death. But his letter to the Philippians is the most joy-filled letter of all his letters because he's trusting in God. And this is what he says. He's, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will complete it, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He's giving them the same encouragement that he had. I am sure That whatever we have surrendered to Him and we're following Him, He is going to get us through. He's going to get us through. And I can tell you in my own life, I am so dependent on the Holy Spirit's presence and power in my life. To do what I do, to be who I am as a man, as a a, a Christian, as a a man trying to be a man of God, being a a godly husband and father and and papa and and just the struggles I face, the temptations that I deal with, the responsibilities above and beyond that and the calling that God has put on my heart to be the pastor of this church without that presence and power of the Holy Spirit, it wouldn't work, wouldn't happen. But that's okay because I've found that God 
keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. When I feel like, Lord, I would just, I would just like to be done, you know? <laughs> I'm only 63, but I'm ready to retire. Lord, I just, I'm just tired of the struggle. I know you all don't deal with these kind of feelings at all. You know, I'm just, I just keep coming back to say, God, you're a keeper of your promises. You promised to redeem me and you did in Jesus Christ. You promised to accept me as your son and you've done that and I rejoice in that. So I'm just claiming your promise that you're going to continue to guide me and lead me and empower me and provide for me by your Holy Spirit. Because you didn't bring me out to lead me. You brought me out to bring me in. And by God's grace, I'm going to finish strong. I say, what are you struggling with today? I just had this sense that God wanted me to bring this message to you. Those of you here, those of you that are watching, those of you that are listening. That whatever it is that you are struggling with, that God wants you to know, trust in me. I will get you through. I didn't bring you out to leave you. I brought you out to bring you in. I brought you out of your sin. I've accepted you as my son and daughter so that I can fulfill my plans and purposes in your life. And even if you've blown it, even if you've messed it up, even if you've failed, forgiveness is available and we're going to get back on track. God wants that to be your encouragement today. I'm going to invite you to take your communion elements. I said to you we're going to take communion together at the end of the service toward the end of the message and now is that time because when I realized that what God had laid on my heart to preach was all about his deliverance of his people and the part that Passover played in it and the fact that Jesus is our Passover lamb I thought oh it'd be so good to end our service or end the sermon close to the end by celebrating what Jesus did for us as our Passover lamb Jesus is our Passover lamb. We were in bondage to sin. But he died that our sins could be forgiven. Before we take together, I told you I would give you an opportunity. But if you're here today or you're watching online or you're listening, watching later, and you have never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ In the course of this message this morning, I've laid it all out there. The the plan of God from the very beginning and why we need it and all that kind of stuff. And I just want to say, are you willing to recognize? Are you willing to admit today that you need a Savior? And have you come to the place where you're willing to say, I want a Savior. I want to surrender my life to Christ. If that's you today, would you just slip your hand up? I want to lead you in prayer right there where you're at. But say, I need a Savior today. It's nothing to be ashamed of. We've all done it that have already done it. I'll be the first one to admit and say, I needed a Savior. Yes, I see that. Anybody else? Say, I need a Savior today. I want to surrender my life to Christ. He died for me. I want to live for Him. Anybody else? Several hands. Several hands. There may be others that are online or listening. And here's what I want to do before we take communion together. I want to 
lead in a prayer and I want to invite you to pray the same thing. My prayer doesn't save you. It is your prayer from your heart that will allow you to accept the gift that God has for you. So I invite you, let's just bow our heads. I just invite you to pray something like this. God, I come to you today and I recognize that I am a sinner. I am enslaved in bondage to my sin. And Lord, I ask in Jesus' name that you would forgive me. Not because I can earn it or do something special, but because Jesus died for me. He was my Passover lamb. He gave his life so I could be forgiven. So Lord, I want to put my trust in him. And today I ask that you forgive me and cleanse me of my sin. Fill me with your spirit. And I pray that you'd help me to live for you. Father, I thank you that as I do that, you accept me as your son. You accept me as your daughter. And you're going to help me with whatever I face. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Just add to that, if you prayed that prayer, it's now time to begin to grow in that relationship. And I or my wife or one of our elders or any of our leaders would love to talk with you about how you can really grow in that relationship. But we hold in our hands the elements of communion. We have this wafer. It reminds us of Jesus in the upper room with his disciples and he passed the bread around to them. They're celebrating Passover. Uh, this is kind of a humorous thing. I heard a preacher preach about it. Can you imagine celebrating Christmas with your family and say, oh, by the way, before we unwrap gifts, I just want to let you know that this celebration has always been about, you know, Jesus' birth and, and we give gifts and stuff. But from now on, this celebration is really about me. Well, we wouldn't do that. But that's almost like what Jesus is doing. He says, you know what? Our people have celebrated Passover for a thousand and a half years. But it's really about me. The thing is, he was telling the truth. What's the truth? And so he passed around the bread and he says, each of you take and eat from this. This bread represents my body, which will be broken for you. And his body was broken upon the cross to give his life for our sins. Let's thank him for that before we take. Lord, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for becoming man, fully God, fully man, taking on a body, knowing how horribly it would be abused and misused and literally tortured after being rejected by so many people. But you willingly did that and suffered that. You became our Passover lamb so that we could have forgiveness of sins. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to take the bread. If you want to break it to symbolize the breaking of his body, let's take the bread together. This little cup of juice we hold reminds us of the cup that Jesus passed around again as part of that Passover meal. He said, each of you drink from this. This represents my blood, which will be shed for the forgiveness of sins. And he even mentions in that context that this is the beginning of a new covenant a new commitment relationship with God where God has committed himself to redeem us. God's committed himself to accept us as his children. God has committed himself to take us through whatever we may face and to help us make progress in our walk. This cup represents my blood which will be shed for you. 
Let's thank him for that before we take together. Lord, we love you. We thank you again for your shed blood, the giving of your life upon the cross that our sins could be forgiven, that we can sit here, stand here, whatever position we're in, knowing that as we trust in you, our sins are forgiven. No more shame, no more guilt, no more bondage, no more condemnation. Lord, we stand upon your promise that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Cleanse us afresh and anew. Lord, we make mistakes, we fail, we, oh Lord, we mess up. Thank you that forgiveness is always available as we repent. Thank you, Lord, for forgiveness today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take the cup together. Hallelujah. There's going to be some young men that are going to come by to pick up your cups, but we're not quite done yet. In fact, I'm going to invite you to stand if you would. I'm going to invite our elders, Pastor Jan, anyone who's part of our prayer team, if you are available and would like you to come forward, because I want us to end as we most often do, and that is for a time of prayer. Our worship team will lead us in some worship. But if you want or need prayer for anything, for yourself or for anybody else, for something physical, for something mental, for something emotional, you need physical healing, you've been battling depression, you've got some stuff in your life, or maybe a family member battling bipolar or all kinds of, there's so much, there's so much emotional stuff going on in our world today. And God can work in those situations just as well as he can anything else. We're going to be here. We'd love to pray for you. And in just a couple of moments, one of the pastoral staff will come back and close in prayer. But let's worship God, respond to him, and ask him for his touch today. Come if you need or want someone to pray with you. There's nothing stronger. We bless your name this morning, Jesus. We praise your name this morning, Jesus. That we can draw nearer and nearer to you. And the closer we get to you, the closer you get to us. Father God, today your people are hurting. Father, today your people may be feeling lonely. But we are all so grateful that we can draw close to a friend like you, God. We thank you that we can draw close to a comforter that will comfort us in a time of need. We are so grateful that we can draw close to a friend that is also a surgeon. That is fixing hearts that are broken. Fixing minds that need fixing. Fixing hearts that are, are in pieces that we can put it back together. All together again. God, we are so grateful that we can stand here in your presence and give you glory and give you praise all because you are worthy of it all you are worthy of it all father and we give you all the honor and we give you the glory now as we leave this place this morning god we ask that you will go before us and you will be behind us and all around us cover us with your blood of healing of protection god we pray lord that as we leave these four walls to go out into the mission field that you will be there with us and we would be able to bring the light into the darkness and to anyone we come in contact with we would be a christ-like example to them we thank you in advance for what you're going to do through our week and we give you all the honor we give you all the glory and we all say amen and amen
Amen. We pray blessings over you. Have a blessed week. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org. 